Let's continue in that uh, attitude of prayer for a moment. Lord, as we come to your word, we want to hear from you. Lord, we also want to respond to you. Lord, soften our hearts. Inspire us, Lord, through the power of your spirit. As we look at some of these difficult situations and issues, Lord, make us bold, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. One Sunday morning, a pastor noticed young Alex staring up at a large plaque that hung in the foyer of the church. And the plaque was covered with names. And there were national flags mounted around it. And the seven-year-old had been staring at this plaque for some time. So the pastor walked up and stood beside him and said, Hi, Alex. Hi, replied the young boy, but he was still focused on the plaque. What's this? he asked. Well, answered the pastor, it's a memorial to all the men and women who have died in the service. Soberly, they stood together staring at this plaque. Until Alex, barely audible, he finally managed to ask, which one, the 10.30 or the 6.30? What do you live for? What do you live for? Is there a cause, a reason, a person, a vocation, a calling, a passion that defines your life? What is it? Does it take your time, your energy, your resources? Does it occupy your thoughts? Would you make it a priority over all else? Would you die for it? Would you give your life for it? It seems that life holds many things to live for. Far fewer to die for. By way of introduction to this morning, I'd like to tell you the story of Polycarp. The police and horsemen came at supper time with the usual weapons, as if they were coming out against some robber. And they found Polycarp lying down in the upper room of a cottage. He could have escaped, but he said, God's will be done. When he heard that they'd come, he went down and he spoke with them. And they were amazed at his age and steadfastness. And they said, why did we go to so much trouble to capture this man? Polycarp called for food and drink for them. And he asked for an hour to pray uninterrupted. Which they agreed. When he finished praying, they put him on a donkey 
and took him into the city. And there the proconsul asked him his name, are you Polycarp? And on hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, saying, have respect for your old age, swear by the fortune of Caesar, reproach Christ, and I will set you free. Polycarp's response. 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? I have wild animals here, the proconsul said. I'll throw you to them if you do not repent. Call them, Polycarp replied. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. If you despise the animals, I'll throw you in the fire. You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. So the crowd collected bundles of wood and sticks. But when they went to fix him there with nails, he said, leave me as I am. For he that gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle. And ready to be an offering, he prayed. Then the fire was lit and the flame burned And it's said that the fire shaped itself into the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship, and formed a circle round his body. And eventually, when the men saw that his body would not be consumed by fire, they commanded an executioner to pierce him with a dagger. Well, this morning, we'll consider something worth dying for. Not only that, But we'll take a closer look at a group of people who did die a long while ago and another group who are actually putting their lives on the line today. Sunday the 23rd of February 2014. People who are linked with this church through Alison. And we're going to spend some time praying for them later. So why would anyone die for anything? What's the point? What's to be gained? Well, a look through history at martyrs of any cause might reveal some answers. But if we take a more focused approach and look at those who die for their faith in Christ, then the letter to the church in Smyrna will reveal the answer. Now, Smyrna... you can see here is in what is now modern day Turkey this letter from the Lord Jesus Christ himself written down by John is addressed to the second of seven churches if you like on the mailing list no email or any other such feature for John he would have sent his letters on um, basically by couriers travelled Uh, and then deliver by hand. So what would Jesus say to the church in Smyrna? A wealthy cosmopolitan city, a center of trade and business, and held in very high regard by the Roman Empire because they had such a positive response to the religion of the day, 
emperor worship. What did Jesus say to this city? Let's have a look at Revelation chapter 2. And we'll read verses 8 to 11. That's if you've got one of these Bibles, page, great number this, one, two, three, four. So Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So what does Jesus say then to this church? Perhaps not what we might expect. A wealthy city, an impoverished church. Their poverty is known by Christ. He identifies with it. The church has afflictions and poverty. It's not sounding like a great start, but they're rich. We don't really know what the afflictions are or why the church is in poverty. Maybe their members are not the wealthy and powerful of the city. Maybe they refuse to take part in the offerings or accept the teachings of other powerful religious leaders. But it doesn't seem to matter to Jesus. He calls them rich. Our society, our politicians, maybe even our culture puts forward the idea of material wealth as a major reason for living. Huge effort goes into improving living standards that are well above most of the rest of the world. Despite wars, famines, injustices, tragedies, disasters and scandals, it's the economy that will take the sustained news headlines. This is what people are really interested in. This is what affects them the most. Can the church subscribe to this? Well, the church in Smyrna are told, you are rich, despite their poverty. Will we begin to see the reason as we hear more? Jesus speaks on and John writes, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not slander here's the key they can sue for millions they're rich well why shouldn't they they have rights surely even under Roman rule 
Maybe a fortune is about to come their way. As we read on, we see more. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. This church is in trouble. They already have afflictions, poverty, slander, religious enemies, political enemies, and now they're going to get suffering. Well, I was thinking, how could it get really any worse? What problem do they not already have? And why are they called rich? They're about to suffer a great persecution. The devil is going to be allowed to test them. Perhaps a bit like Job in the Old Testament. Some will end up in prison. Some will die. All are encouraged to be faithful up to this point. The point of death. Why? Are their current sufferings not enough? Can they not be spared more suffering and Christ instead give them comfort and material freedom from their enemies? Surely, what this church needs is a positive, powerful intervention of the Holy Spirit in the ruling powers. Not more troubles. Can you imagine the leaders of the church in Smyrna coming up with this plan? Keep the afflictions. Remain in poverty. Don't worry about the slanderers. Expect prison and death. Anyone want to join? We think sharing our faith is tough. But wait. It's only for ten days. You can survive anything for ten days. Well, except death. Ten days and then... The crown of life. Something positive at last. Maybe this isn't all bad. Afflictions, poverty, slander, prison, death. But if you're faithful, the crown of life. That must be worth it. You'd buy into that, wouldn't you? What's this crown of life? And why is all this tough stuff necessary? What if I want a God a faith, a Jesus that skips all this first lot of painful stuff and jumps straight to the crown of life bit. Is that possible? These are two of many quotes like this. It wasn't hard to find them and there's a lot to choose from. But before we start saying, well, I'm not being persecuted, what must I do to be persecuted? Remember, this particular persecution in Smyrna is of the devil. It's allowed by God and for a restricted time only. The church doesn't orchestrate its own persecution. We don't have to go out of our way to seek it. We're to live godly lives Expect persecution at some times and be ready to stand faithfully through it. But we are called to identify with those who are being persecuted. In Hebrews 13 and verse 3, we're called to do that. So at this point, I'd like us to stop 
and pray for our brothers and sisters in a church in Central Asia. Many of you will know Alison and the situation there. They are currently seeking to register their church. Doesn't sound like much, but if they can't register their church, it's illegal then to meet and worship. So you have to register. There's a problem with registering. You need 50, 50 people. So it doesn't include children or people that aren't regularly committed to that church. And then those 50 people have to put their names, addresses. They basically put their livelihoods on the line. The current situation is this. This church has 53 people signed up. 18 have been investigated and two have withdrawn their names under pressure. That's the situation today. Um, well, my last communication with Alison was earlier this week. They're hoping to hear next month about the success or otherwise of their registration. I wonder if we could stand and spend some time in prayer for that church and identify with them, call on the Lord for that situation. I'm going to leave this up as a prompt. The green is what we've seen in the church in Smyrna and it's kind of top and tailed by this idea of being faithful and overcoming. Now where that leads we'll see let's stand and pray just do speak out and allow voice if you're praying so that uh, we can all pray with you so what is this crown of life Did the church in Smyrna attain this? Well, I told you the story of Polycarp earlier on. But I omitted one detail which many of you probably already knew. He was the bishop of Smyrna. And it seems the persecutions came. And several times over, actually, for longer and shorter periods. But Polycarp epitomizes the stand of the Christian. In the face of persecution. He had his eyes set on a crown of life. Not a power wielding crown. Or a monarch's crown. But a victor's crown. A crown that you would get for winning. For finishing. For enduring. More like a, a victor's or winner's title. Maybe some of you have seen the Winter Olympics unfold. And we get some sense of what it's like to achieve that victor's crown or gold medal. It's not an accident. It's not a spur-of-the-moment decision where you just think, oh, I'll just join in and have a go, see what I get. Oh, gold medal. It's taken training, effort, refinement, sacrifice. So it is with this crown of life. And this is what 
is of value. This is why the church in Smyrna is rich. This is what marks out the Christian who has endured. This is what is received. Why is it so good? Well, the benefits that go with this crown are eternal life in Christ. Eternity in the presence of God. No fear of the second death which we might see as eternity outside of the presence of God or hell. Well, that's quite a jump. Earthly troubles and plenty of them for the church in Smyrna. How do we know it's worth the suffering? The whole eternity thing might be a delusion and we've suffered for nothing. Why did the church in Smyrna buy it? Why are these people that we've just prayed for putting themselves on the line? Why should I trust that Jesus Christ can really do this? Well, let me conclude by looking to who encourages the church to stand through their trials. The very beginning, go back to verse 8. And we see, the one who calls for this is the first and the last. The one who has overcome death. Christ has done it. Christ is their example and guarantee. Christ is their reason to stand up and be faithful. Jesus Christ himself has borne the afflictions, the poverty, the slander of religious and political leaders and an untimely death. Just like the members of the church in Smyrna, he has gone before, endured and obtained for them victory over death. And we've witnessed that in the resurrection and ascension. He has secured for them the crown of life and ensured that they won't face that second death. Jesus spoke through John to the church in Smyrna. And this same Jesus speaks to us today through the Bible and by the Holy Spirit. Often, it's just a whisper. It's easy to ignore easy to write off, often very hard to act upon. But we know it's him. So what is Jesus saying? The first and the last, the one who has overcome death, the one who awards the crown of life. What is he saying to you? Listen carefully. Take time to understand the implications Determined to stand faithfully in his strength and look forward to receiving from Jesus who has overcome that which makes you rich. That which is worth dying for. The crown of life.